All right, we're here for another episode of the Chicken Charge Show. I am joined by none other than Daniela Genus from the United Kingdom. I think this is my first international podcast interview. So thank you so much for making the time. I think it's the evening for you, as you told me. Thanks for yeah, being thank you for having me. It's, yeah, it's evening now. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, look, I appreciate you coming on and your team reaching out um, just to introduce yourselves and, you know, that we were able to get acquainted a little bit before we hit record here. Could you just share with uh, the audience um, a little bit about your work with She's the Boss and mm-hmm. just overall what your mission is there? Yeah, so She's the Boss is a business advisory service and the main aim of the organization is to support aspiring um, and developing entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs to build profitable, sustainable systems-driven businesses. And when I say profitable, when we're talking about the nonprofit or the social enterprise sector, it means for more than profit. So um, a lot of people think that if you're running a nonprofit or a social enterprise that no profit should be made. And actually what I argue is that profit should be made, but that profit should be used for good. Um, My my earlier guests last week, we haven't published the episode yet, but uh, it was Matt Connolly, the CEO of Good360, which is a nonprofit. And he said to me, they, they call it not for loss. Yes. Mm-hmm. You could put that one down too. But yeah, yeah I like that one. Um, so I, I provide the support through a variety of what a combination of coaching, consultancy, programs, training, workshops. So it's kind of a multi-method approach, also accountability, using uh, the experience that I've gained from running my own businesses and my own social enterprise, as well as um, my role as a senior business innovation and growth expert. And, and all of the kind of learnings that I've I've acquired over the years supporting a range of different businesses, I've been able to create a framework to help businesses grow from a variety of different sectors um, and for both for-profit and not for-profit. And I've proven that this system works. And really the the aim for me is to support as many businesses to be able to, to grow. And particularly I'm quite passionate because my background is in the kind of not-for-profit social enterprise space or for more than profit, I'm really passionate about kind of imparting my, my knowledge, my learnings, my experience to help more social enterprises be able to grow, but in a sustainable fashion um, that's not reliant on the founder. Understood. So let's let's go there for a little bit because I myself you know, have done things at Charity Charge to work on scaling and getting beyond just myself as the founder running and doing everything. Mm-hmm. And I see quite a bit, a lot of burnout with founders of nonprofits and obviously founders of for-profit businesses. Mm-hmm. Can you talk just a little bit about that? I don't want to say issue, but like what happens and I'll add in a little bit more preface. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept or the book traction. It's based off of EOS. Yes. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneur operating system. Yes. Mm-hmm. That book so resonated with me within the first page or two, it mm-hmm. talked about the plights of the typical small business owner mm-hmm. and why most businesses stay small or go out of business. Yeah. And all the challenges. 
It's a great book. I also love um, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael E. Gerber that kind of talks around similar things. And the problem is you often, and particularly in the non-profit space, you start a business because you're passionate about making a difference in what, whatever um, area that you're focusing on. And because of that, you then want to do everything because actually this is the, the difference that I want to make. So I'm gonna run around and I'm gonna try and make this difference on my own. And you might bring staff in, but you really hold things quite close and you don't delegate out as much as you should because nobody's going to do it as good as me, as well as me. Nobody's gonna care as much as me. The problem with that is, as you've already alluded to, you then get overworked, you then end up suffering from burnout. And the, the problem there is, how are you going to continually make a difference if you are not physically or mentally able to do so because you've ground yourself into the ground? Um, so what I advocate for is to make sure that you, number one, you're delegating properly, but you can't do that if you don't know how to do the things that you do. So making sure that your systems and processes are mapped out and in place and are clear so that when you then start to, to bring on staff, that you're able to quickly onboard them and that they're, they're able to kind of take ownership of their role and do things without having to consistently come back to you to ask you for guidance because it's all mapped out and clear um, in a step-by-step -step format to tell them how to do it. Um, and once- Can I jump in here? Before we get into some of those tactics and the science and the process here, what I'm wondering is, I mean, for a while, right, in the first, let's call it two years of running Charity Charge, I don't know that I was even aware that I was working so much in the business instead of on the business, right? And it's hard to separate yourself. So I think part of the challenge, curious to get your opinion on this, is how do you help people that may not know that they need help or want help? And I'm wondering if someone was listening to this right now that objectively, right? If they came to you, you would say, whoa, like we get that you're the founder, but we got to get you out of the business, working on the business. Let's hire people. Let's get process, et cetera. How would you, what questions might they ask themselves or would you ask them? I'm just trying to get the sense well, of how you make a breakthrough to want to change. I think a lot question, of people want to hold on. Mm -hmm. A question, there's a few questions that I ask. The first one always is, if you got sick tomorrow, and had to be like on bed rest for a month, would your business be able to continue without you? And normally that's the question that gets people to stop and say, actually, no, if that did happen, the business would have to close. And then the next question is, would, would you want that situation to arise knowing that you could have done something to prevent it? Because why have you put in all of this hard work and effort if all it takes is you to be sick? And, and let's face it, nobody can predict the future, right? So at any given point, particularly in COVID times, at any given point, you could be taken out and you could be ill. And do you want to waste all of that time and effort that you've put into building your business for it to, to all be gone in a puff of smoke because you just didn't spend the time mapping out a couple of systems and processes. Um, so that's normally the first question. When, if, if there's ever a comeback of, well, I can't afford it, it's can you afford not to? Because let's look at a couple of scenarios and obviously one of those being if you're ill, but also what happens if a member of your family becomes ill and you have to look after them? What happens if you need to go abroad for a reason over a period of time? And obviously the internet is here now, so it makes it a little bit easier, but essentially any scenario that could lead you being out of your business for a period of time um, that is gonna to lead to your business 
being closed, can you afford for that situation to arise? And if you can't, then you need to find a way to be able to afford to kind of safeguard the business from that. Your business is vulnerable if you don't. And normally that's enough to get people thinking a little bit differently. Does it get them enough to implement all of those things? Usually not. Um, so that's where we will do um, some work around doing it together. Um, when I first kind of started with She's the Boss, I would teach people how to map their processes and say, go away and do it. But as I found a lot of the time when you're, you're trying to grow your business, and I know, knew this, but I was hoping that they would still do it themselves. You're busy and you are doing the operational stuff. So it's kind of taking a step back and looking at the strategic stuff and, and the foundational stuff. They, they just weren't doing it. So they'd know it would need to be done. So then what started to happen is they'd come back and say, can you do it for me? So I actually looking at kind of the process of innovation and looking at developing new ideas for the business, I created a whole service around that. So now one of the things that I offer is something called Build My Business where I'll go in and help them, help their business owners map out their processes, recommend systems that they can use to help with automation um, and also help with onboarding new staff members. And actually with some of the businesses, the earlier businesses that I started that process with, the growth of their business has been significant because they've been able to, to start to let go and have been able to scale up at a much quicker pace than they would have been able to had they continually been running around trying to do everything. So what are some of the, the tangible things you would suggest to, or you've seen with some of the nonprofits that you've worked with? Sorry, what was that? I was going to ask, what are some of the tangible things that you've been able to help nonprofits with? Any specific examples um, you could think of once they came to you and some of the systems you helped put in place? Yeah, so one of my favorites is a, an organization called Neo Enterprise. So when they initially came to me, um, they were doing they were doing good work, but the, the business was not generating the amount of revenues that they needed. They didn't really have a clear strategy or plan of what they wanted to do, and they didn't really have any proper systems and processes. What we were able to do was um, do an innovation process and look at developing new revenue streams, um, one of them being quite a significant project um, and also the development of an app. <coughs> Sorry, the development of an app. So they've created an MVP for that. They were also able through the project that we developed, able to secure um, some quite significant contracts, which has now pushed them into the six figure, um, six figure turnover mark. And the, the growth of the business has been quite significant. And now we are, we've literally just finished the Build My Business process where we've looked at automation. We've looked at the key members of staff that they need to bring in, creating uh, job descriptions, and also looking at kind of key areas that need to be um, focused on in the future for continual sustainable growth. And there, they were, it was funny when they initially came, their main thing was, we just want to help women um they had a specific focus on helping women and that focus has continued but what they've now started to think about is to help more women we need to be able to generate more income so we need to be looking at innovation and strategies for doing that but we also need to make sure that the the foundations of the business are strong so that we're able to employ more women to help grow the business um, and continue to grow the business 
So that's been quite an exciting process to go through. Um, two, two young women that run the business and just seeing the growth of them as individuals and as social entrepreneurs has been phenomenal. Um, they've received quite a lot of press over here in the UK for the projects that they've been um, developing. And I'm really proud of, of the, the, I suppose, the development. Another is um, a charity. So a charity, I sit on the board, um, I'm a board member trustee, but I also have been working with them as a client. And one of the things that we, again, looked at was how do we take your existing programs and the outreach that they do is with young people and create and kind of productize those programs and then sell the licenses both in the UK and abroad. So again, looking at um, kind of how do we increase revenue so that we're able to continue to engage more young people, but also if the aim of the business is to change the lives of young people, why are we stopping at just what we have the capacity to do? And we can generate more revenues, but we can also um, have this positive engagement with more young people by licensing it out to other not-for-profit organizations across the world. So another organization that I'm really proud of working with, they're called First Class Foundation. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I want to get, I mean, part of what came out of in your response there a few moments ago was your, um, you know, passion for helping women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at this point, just getting to know you a little bit, you know, I understand you had your own businesses, and then you went, got your MBA. Now you're focused on what you're doing with the She's the Boss. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like at this point in your career that this is your ultimate calling? Is this, is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? Or like, what other, like how, no, how do you feel the work that you're doing now versus what you were doing when you were running your own business? It's, it's funny because when I was running, so the first business was called Aspire For You. And I used to always say Aspire For You is my baby. And when I thought about my future, I, it, that was kind of pivotal to the future. So the plan was I was going to grow it in the UK. I was going to have bases in different cities. Then I was going to have international bases and international operations, working with young people all over the world. That was the plan. And I really felt that that was my calling at that point. And I felt very happy. I felt very centered. I felt fulfilled. Then when I sold the business, because I sold the business out of necessity as opposed to because I was just fed up with it, I went through a period of serious grief and mourning because obviously my whole um, future had been intertwined with this business. The business is gone. So now what is my future and who am I? And I did, I always say I kind of went through a wilderness phase um, and didn't really know what what the next step was. And actually in, fi in finding kind of a passion for uh, working with other businesses. And it's interesting when I was, sorry, I'm jumping back and forth, but when I was running Aspire For You, even though the focus was event management and youth training, because the business grew quite rapidly and I was winning awards, I was being invited to talk at a variety of events. I was being featured in the media people would come to me and ask me to help them with their social enterprise. So I actually started kind of the coaching and the consultancy in that first business, but just didn't call it that. It was just like, I'm going to help somebody with this. So when I was in that wilderness after selling the business and was doing the MBA, I was like, well, why don't I just do this on a more formal basis? Founded She's the Boss. Um, initially, I'd called it Genus Enterprise Consultants, which is quite self-indulgent. Rebranded to She's the Boss um, a little bit later. And really right at this exact point, I feel like this is the true calling. 
I think the business that I was running then, and I had a business kind of in between that, the alternative wedding group, I think at that point, that was the calling then. At this point, this is the calling now. And actually, had I not done what I'd done in the, the previous businesses, I wouldn't be as good at what I'm doing now in my current business. And I think that it really, um, I would say the, the saddest time was selling the business, but actually it's the best thing that ever happened to me because it, it situated me to be able to walk down this path. And on a day-to-day -day basis, when I'm having my client interactions, when I see my clients winning awards, when I see my clients growing their businesses, taking on staff, that gives me like a real joy and happiness. And I feel on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm fulfilled and I'm walking in purpose. Am I doing it in the same way that I originally intended? No, but maybe this was the overall end destination. I just didn't know it. Do I want to still be doing this in 10 years time? I think I want to do this forever. That doesn't mean I, I don't want to do other things. So I would love to sit on more um, charity as trustees. I would love to, to take up more board positions. Um, I love doing speaking. So doing speaking engagements and I'm also trying to write a book. So doing all of those kind of periphery things, I think will be added on as the, the years go, like continue, but I think really the more businesses I work with, the more experience that I gain, the more impact I'm able to make, I'm just gonna work with more businesses. So maybe the business types might change a little bit, but I can't see unless something disastrous happens that I wanna completely change lanes. Might start another business on the side doing something else, but I think this is always gonna be kind of core at the center of what I want to do. That's awesome that you, that you feel like you found that. How old are you now? I'm 36. Didn't take that long, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Well, um, no, no. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. that, that's like really I'm blessed, I would say, uh, that I've been able to, to live a life up to this point where generally I've been doing stuff that, that fulfills me. How do you feel about money? You know, in other words, so a lot of times when I look at services-based businesses, I've never been able to understand it. In other words, there's just a limitation on your time or an attorney's time or uh, a graphic designer's time. And there's obviously different business models that people can apply. Mm -hmm. But then obviously it maps back to like, what's going to make you happy and what is enough, right? You talk about the 25 clients that you have now. Um, and there's ways to scale a services-based business, but obviously it's not at all like a product-based business, widgets, things like that. So how does money and income factor into what you're doing from a career perspective? I mean, does it motivate you? And sort of what I, a little bit of what I'm getting at is like people that plot out to become entrepreneurs, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, and a lot of different business models that you can go after. And some of them, you know, may give you a great lifestyle. They may not bring in a, you know, a billion dollars, but they're really good businesses and make you happy. But like, to you, like sort of, how do you think about what is, what, what's enough? So when I started my first business, money was not even in the, the thinking of my brain. It was more about, I want to help young people. This is how I'm going to do it. This is what makes me happy. Do it. And a couple of years in a mentor of mine said, how can you help other people if you can't help yourself? and you need to help yourself first, and then you can help as many people as you want to. And that really struck a chord with me. 
and it's something that has stuck with me throughout and this was at least 10 years ago um and now in the new business whilst it is primarily a service-based business so obviously my time is restricted I have a completely different way of looking at it in a different outlook. My focus is to generate income, but the income I'm generating is not just so that I can say, oh, I'm rich, I've got loads of money. It's because the more money I can make, the more I can reinvest into doing things that are going to help more people. As a, a principal, and I, I think I alluded to this before, even working with not-for-profits not, not and social enterprises and even charities, I always say, even if you are a service-based business, you should be focusing on how you can productize your knowledge. Because if you can productize it, then you remove the time restraints that you have. So that's something that I'm in the process of doing for myself, but also working with my clients to do so that, because I can only be in so many places at once, I will always um, enjoy doing the kind of face-to-face -face stuff because that does fill me up and bring me joy. But really, as you said, there's a cap on that. And actually, the same applies to me that I say to other clients, what happens if I get sick? If I'm sick and I can't do anything, I can't service my clients, I'm not going to get paid. So that's where looking at the products that I'm developing comes in so that I know that there's always going to be a recurring income that is uncapped. Um, and that can be through so some of the things I'm doing at the moment, training programs, digital programs that can just run, that are pre-recorded, that can run without me, but also physical products um, that I'm working on at the moment that I'll be selling, hopefully, I can move quickly, um, by the end of the year. And I think for me, that's how I'm trying to kind of make sure that everything isn't reliant on just my time, because my time is not finite. But money is important, and I recognise that, and I, I want to generate a lot of money. What would, when you mentioned the physical goods, what would, what's an example of that for you? So one of the things I'm working on, it's called Daniela in a Box. It's going to have a better name than that. That's the working title whilst I'm trying to work out. It's funny because I've got it written on the wall behind here. Daniela in a box. So it's going to be um, a box of resources that every entrepreneur needs based on the visa model that I've developed. So I've got something, um, something that I've developed called Vision 20, which is a, a, a mapping process to map out three-year vision with associated goals, action plans, milestone plans. So putting that into kind of a, a planner type thing. Um, also, uh, motivational cards will be in there, uh, resources, templates, and all of those kind of things, but all will come in a box. So everything you're going to need in within 12 months of business to help grow your business in a box. Not called Daniela in a box. So if anybody's listening and has a really cool name that they want to help me with, that would be wonderful because I'm kind of stumped at the moment. But something like that, that can uh, can be purchased repeatedly and is is still spreading the kind of she's the boss ethos and methodology um, beyond my physical time. That's cool. No, you definitely got something to play there with, um, with, I think with the brand, she's the boss. So I would encourage you to figure that out. Like she's the boss in the box or something. Yeah, I, I keep trying, but I just- I Yeah, I'm like trying to work with like a play on words here, but. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of the boss box at one point, but. Oh, know. I like it. You do? Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Now, take me back. You know, I know obviously you engage and you work with non, as we've talked about, nonprofits, businesses, social enterprises. What is sort of like the first thing that you would you would do, or some of the questions you would ask? I know we we covered one of them of like you know if you fell ill, but what's something if someone's interested, you know, in starting to think about receiving 
coaching or working with you or any other, you know, sort of system or processes, what are some of like the initial questions that they should ask themselves or that you would ask them? Um, one of the first questions is, do you know it all? And this is where I think a lot of people get stuck because they say, oh, I don't need coaching. I don't need to work with anyone. I can work it out for myself. But unless you know it all, you always can learn something from someone else. And that's not to say I know it all, but I might, you might know zero to five and I know six to 15. So if you want to kind of take it up a level, then you work with people that have that little bit of extra knowledge or not even extra, it just might be a different perspective and a different point of view. So that's one of the first things. The, the second kind of thing is, um, I love to, I love that phrase of, if you want, and I always get it wrong. If you want to go far, go alone. If you want to go fast, go with others or the other way around, I forget. But that kind of concept that actually, if you really want to stretch yourself as a single person in a business, or even if you're in a partnership, one of the key things, as you, you mentioned earlier, is that you spend a lot of time working in the business. And if there's nobody outside of the business to ask you, have you been doing this? What about that? Have you considered that? Have you thought about that? You can end up on a hamster wheel where the business is still going and things are still happening, but there's no growth. You're just kind of flatlining. And by working with somebody externally, you get that real critical voice um, and also that accountability of somebody saying, well, what, what is the three-year goal? What, um, what, is, what kind of revenues have you been turning over over the last three years? What's the, the level of growth? The kind of the questions that a lot of the time you don't take the time out for yourself to ask yourself. And that's what the benefits of working with somebody like me. I will come in and ask those really hard questions, but also hold you accountable for doing the things that you say that you want to do. And I think that really seemed one of the key things and one of the reasons the business is called She's the Boss actually is because of that accountability bit. So it's not just, okay, I'm gonna come and help you with some systems and process mapping it. This is where you said you want to go in three years. This is what you need to do. It's been a month, which of these things have you done? And why haven't you done them? And why are you making excuses? Do you really want to do do you, do you really want to achieve this future that you we've kind of mapped out? Because with the Vision 20 process, we quite vividly map out where the business and where you are going to be in three years time and that's quite powerful but what makes it the most powerful is not just doing it and going away and saying bye it's actually having those checking points this is what you said you was going to do in six months to get you to that three-year vision what's going on and really just being that kind of um I would say voice of accountability and sternness sometimes seems to work let me ask you, as we round this out, I appreciate you doing that. Let's focus on this vision 20 for a second. Mm -hmm. What would that look like? I mean, can you pretend I'm your client? Like what, how would you start with me? So I, it's one of my favorite things to do, actually. So you, what I typically will do is get you to kind of explain where the business is at, at the moment. What did you initially kind of envision for the business? Where were you trying to get to? And have you achieved that? So it's can kind we, of, yeah. yeah. Can, can we just, can we just, I mean, this is ad hoc. Can we just <laughs> go there okay. So when did you start? You said you started the business two years ago. Uh, no, um, we, no worries on that. We, launched in awesome. June of 2016. Okay. And what was the original kind of long, did you have a three or five year or even a 10 year vision for the business at that point? My vision at the highest level, the most macro thing was really, it was just an aspirational, inspirational 
sort of message I was trying to put out in the world. Mm-hmm. So our initial product was our consumer card where the cash back goes to the charity of your choice. Mm-hmm. And I really felt that there were a lot of people out in the world that wanted to do well, but were bombarded by mega banks that hire huge celebrities to convince them to sign up for a credit card to earn airline miles or cash back or bonus points. The credit card industry in the US is a little bit different than the UK and some other countries due to, for a variety of reasons, which we can get into. But still to this day, I mean, billions upon billions of dollars are spent every year by huge banks, whether they're hiring, I don't know, you know Taylor Swift, who works for Capital One, or Samuel L. Jackson, who's also with Capital One, or like uh, Jennifer Garner. Um, all, all these celebrities are just hired. And I sort of looked at it as the same way how now, you know, the way we market tobacco is outlawed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it used to be celebrities on billboards or they would get paid to smoke a cigarette in a film back in the, you know, 80s and prior to that. And then that was outlawed once we realized like the risks, the health risks and stuff like that. So anyway, long way, it was, it was less about what I wanted for myself. It was more about the, the message we were trying to send to the world is like, life's more important than just having things. And you don't need a, like the whole rat race. And to me, like the fallacy and the joke about the credit card world is like, banks just want to get you to spend more. It's like this never ending roller coaster of consumption after consumption. Mm-hmm. It's like, get this credit card so that you can you know, earn points on flights. So you can fly on the flights. So you can go on vacation. So you can spend more money there. So you can get more points. It's like, when does, when does enough, when is enough ever enough? So mm-hmm. anyway, that was a rant, but that was the original <laughs> kind of aspirational side of it. And in terms of growth from when you started to now, I've, I've seen that you've obviously achieved significant growth. Has it been to the level that you wanted it to? Have you um, achieved the milestones that you set out to achieve were there milestones yeah the brief answer is no i mean we really had to completely pivot when um we had challenges with um scaling just with not having enough resources to really be able to market the consumer card Mm -hmm. challenges just with our issuing bank in terms of just getting their support behind it to be like a national program um but the bigger opportunity that presented itself was what we do from a B2B perspective, working with nonprofits. So where we recognize challenges scaling the B2C side of it, we saw big opportunity to go B2B. So nonprofits using our corporate card now. So we now have you know, business relationships with a um, ton of nonprofits, you know, all US based at this point. So we really just had to pivot the product from a consumer credit card to a corporate credit card. Okay. So the first part would be kind of me fact finding. This is yeah. this normally is a three and a half hour process, by sure. the way. Yeah. A couple of tasters. So let's say it's January 2024. So we're in January 2024, and you're looking back re- retrospectively. What key milestones has the business achieved? So think about um, key clients that you've managed to acquire. So uh, non-profits that you managed to get on board. Think about um, revenue goals. So what kind of revenue have you achieved in 2024? Where are you based? And and normally with this question, I I do a full descriptive 
kind of breakdown. So we describe what the base looks like, but obviously for time, you can just give me a bit mm -hmm. of a, a quick overview. So 2024, so we speak in present tense, we're there. 2024, what are the key business milestones and where is the business based and, and how much money are you generating? So, I mean, we would still be based in Austin, but we're, especially with COVID, I mean, we're completely virtual, which, mm -hmm. is, which is also great, you know, groups nationwide. Um, I struggle always with giving like the hard, like revenue goals, but I think we could be doing 10 million in revenue by 2024, mm -hmm. um, which mm -hmm. it's sort of like, I don't really care. It's like the, the, like, I can give you an answer, but I just don't care really about stuff like that, which is sort of like, <laughs> why, why, what? Go ahead. But you, that's the important part. You don't need to care because that is not for you, is it? And this is the difference between me doing this process with a nonprofit and a, a commercial, uh, commercially focused business. What could you do with that 10 million in terms of the impact that you could make? Because it's not about you, is it? No, but I mean, I think that it's, It's, it's already like too much money. You know what I mean? Like I look at my lifestyle now and I don't, it, it's like, it's not, but we're not talking about you personally. What? Well, it's not about you personally, is it? It's about the business. If the business was generating that much, that doesn't mean you personally are taking that much, but then what would it afford the business to be able to do in terms of any sort of give back, any um, outreach programs or whatever it is that you may want to do that, that, money would enable you to be able to do. And I think that's the important distinction to make. Yeah. Let me ask you a different question. This is sort of like the existential thing, which is, even a guy, okay, let's take like Elon Musk, right? So he's got, a lot of people drive Teslas, but, such a small percent of all cars out there are Teslas. Okay. Mm -hmm. When he dies, I don't think everyone will be driving a Tesla. So what do you think motivates him? Or what do you think motivates Jeff Bezos? And is it all just bullshit? Like, I sort of like, you know, I've been asking, like, as we've been having like success and I'm realizing, oh, we're going to make a lot, like we've already, we've been making impact from day one. That's like our business model. Like we make impact first and then we have a revenue share out of that. So like it's, it's always mm -hmm. been there and it's been impact first, but yeah, it's like, what's really the point? <laughs> it's like, you know, what are we really here? <laughs> what are we really here to do? I think if we're talking about people like Jeff Bezos, I think, yeah, they're just here to make money and just make money, which I, I don't necessarily agree with that as a principle, unless you're using that money for good. The idea of me knowing that I've got, I don't know, a million, well, a hundred million just sitting in the back, that doesn't sit right with me. But it doesn't sit right with me because at the core of me, my main aim in life is to help people. So why would I have a hundred million pound in my bank when there's people that need help? 
Mm-hmm. So for me, as I, I think I've mentioned, the, the striving for income or for money is not for me personally to just have the money. It's because of the opportunity that it would afford me to be able to help more people. So the more money I make, the more I can give away. So when I hear that people are kind of billionaires, I, I can't, I personally can't fathom that because I don't understand why you'd have that money just for you. Well, right. there's, I saw something couple of months ago where it showed um it was showing the richest people in the world on this thing that moved and it was at the so it was showing like I think Elon Musk was at the top and it was showing this counter moving and as it moved it said this is how many hospitals could be built this is how much people in the world that are starving that could be fed this is how any it just and the, the counter kept going and it was filling in all of these things and he still had more money than that there was a few of them on it and that for me that is the bit that I don't I can't you could end world hunger, but instead you're just going to keep the money in your bank and, and fly private jets and just do absurd things just because you can. I don't think I'd be able to sleep at night. That doesn't mean that I don't obviously want to take nice holidays and, and that kind of thing. But I think, as you said, what is the point? What is the point? Like, I don't want to just do that. I want to be able to help people and make an impact and make a difference. And I think that's, that's, that is what differentiates the kind of social entrepreneur or the not-profit entrepreneur and the just entrepreneur. <coughs> and that's not to say that all general entrepreneurs are money-hungry and, and uncaring. I don't think that's true. And you do hear um, so quite a few entrepreneurs that are philanthropic and do give back, but oh, I think a lot. I think it's across the board. I mean, I think the point is just asking the question of like, why and why does it matter? But uh, I like where we went there. So I appreciate you entertaining that and kind of opened me up a little bit, but you're right too. I mean, you even asking the hard questions, I think a lot of times, you know, I think in aspirational terms, right. And I, I imagine that a lot of other entrepreneurs do that as well, but not in concrete terms of like, well, where do you want to be in four years or where do you, you know, but I think sometimes for me, what I've learned with the systems and processes that we've had to put in place um, out of that has become a lot of success that then allows just the freedom for me to be able to be myself and do the things that I've wanted to do. So it's kind of hard to, to be able to get what you want and get to that creative aspirational version without mm-hmm. having the practicality of a well-run organization and mm-hmm. those systems and processes. So no, I appreciate the conversation. Um, I wanna you know, say to everyone, for everyone listening, this is with Daniela Genus of She's the Boss, which is She's the Boss, intl.com. So She's the Boss, intl.com. Anything else you wanna say before we round out this interview? I just thank you very much for um, interviewing me. I've really enjoyed the conversation and kind of the mantra that I always share with everyone is think big, take action and keep pushing. And I think it's really important to to really make sure that you don't limit yourself by thinking small, to make sure that you are taking action towards your goals, whether that be um, impact, whether that be revenues, whatever it is, but to consistently work towards it but also keep pushing. And I think my story in itself demonstrates the importance of keep pushing because even though I haven't gone in the direction that I anticipated initially, I continue to push and I'm now um, in a completely new direction that is still bringing me joy and fulfillment. So think big, take action, keep pushing. And I love that you said joy and fulfillment, 
right there because that's what we're really after. So thank you so much, Danielle. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much.